0: So excited to be here with you all this morning and be speaking. We're so thankful to Mary Claire Lynch, who led worship. And um, there's so many talented people in this area, and so we're so thankful to get to serve alongside them. And so I'm excited to be in Jeremiah 2. We're continuing our study of Jeremiah today. We've been in Jeremiah 1, so I encourage you this morning, as I usually do when I speak, if you have a physical Bible, Open that up this morning. I like large passages of of scripture to let the Bible speak for itself, Um, so I encourage you this morning to open your physical Bible if you have one, and we will be in Jeremiah 2. We'll start in verse 1. Jeremiah 2, verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to me. Go and announce directly to Jerusalem that this is what the Lord says. I remember the loyalty of your youth Your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it found themselves guilty, disaster came on them. This is the declaration of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, (coughs) house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they went so far from me, followed worthless idols, and became worthless themselves? They stopped asking, where is the Lord who brought us from the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, through a land of drought and darkness, a land no one traveled through and where no one lived? I brought you to a fertile land to eat its fruit and bounty. But after you entered, you defiled my land. You made my inheritance detestable. The priest quit asking, Where is the Lord? The experts in the law no longer knew me, and the rulers rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and followed useless idols. Now, that's a heavy passage, and um, we won't be quite that heavy today. We'll be talking about the more redemptive elements of this passage, which are faithfulness and the idea of covenant. If you'll remember at the beginning of that passage, I know um, that was a long passage, but Jeremiah says, I remembered to... (coughs) Remember the loyalty of your youth, your love as a bride. And so God here is talking about his bride, which is Israel. So covenant is an agreement. Oftentimes we think of it as a legal contract. Um, An example might be um, a mortgage or a marriage certificate. And I was going to bring mine as an example, and I can't find it. So I'm pretty sure Andrew and I are married, um, at least in the eyes of the Lord, but maybe not at the state of Kentucky. Um, but So that is an example of a legal agreement of a contract, but covenants in the Bible are more than just contracts. They're more than just pieces of paper. They're about people, and a covenant is a commitment that establishes a relationship. Thank you so much. A relationship between two or more persons. So there are lots of covenants in the Bible, but if you're familiar with the Bible and if you've been around the church for any amount of time, then you're probably familiar with the idea of the Old and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant was a conditional agreement that God had made (coughs) with the Israelites, God chose the Israelites to be his people. He took a few patriarchs like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and grew their descendants into a great nation. It gave them land, which was Canaan, and his law to live by. The Israelites, <laughs> this will be interesting. The Israelites were to remain loyal to God, obeying him and worshiping him alone. He promised that he would bless them if they would obey him, but if not, he would punish them. He promised that he would establish a sacrificial system that would allow them to be cleansed temporarily of their sins. And they would have to repeat these sacrifices over and over again and use a priest to do these sacrifices because they could not themselves enter into the presence of God. Even with all of these accommodations that God has made, the nation as a a whole was unfaithful to God and eventually fell under the judgment of God, which is what Jeremiah is prophesying here in his text. The old covenant is old compared to the new covenant, which we see in the New Testament. This new covenant is actually promised by Jeremiah later in the book in Jeremiah 31 and made effective by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the Old Covenant, the Israelites were required to obey God and keep the laws, which is not just the Ten Commandments, but everything that we see in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And he promised that in return he would protect and bless them. In the New Covenant, however, things change. For Jesus fulfilled the law, so while the law still existed, Jesus came to fulfill the law. And they were no longer required to make these continual sacrifices because Jesus was our slain lamb and our ultimate sacrifice. We no longer needed priests to go to God. In the Old Testament, um, no one was allowed inside where God's presence was in the Holy of Holies. And there was a veil between God's people, the Israelites, and the Holies of Holies where only the priests could go. And when Jesus died, that veil was torn. And now we can have a direct relationship with the presence of God and, and experience the presence of God ourselves. God's love and his grace towards his people is no longer conditional like it is in the Old Testament and with the Old Covenant. Um, It's not to where if we do something bad, God loses his love for us or chooses to be faithless to us. And instead, those of us that are in Christ are covered by the blood of Jesus and we are unconditional recipients of grace. And to sum it all up, in the New Covenant, it comes down to this verse in Romans. It says, God demonstrates his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So even though we had been faithless to God, and as the hymn, Come Thou Fount, says, we were prone to wonder, he still sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us anyway. This covenant relationship between God and his people is often described both in the Old and New Testament through the metaphor of marriage. And we saw that at the beginning of our passage today in Jeremiah, where God is through Jeremiah saying, I remember the loyalty of your youth your love as a bride, God is referring to Israel as his bride in this example. And this metaphor of marriage and the idea that God is the groom and that Israel is the bride is is no better explained or no easier explained anyway than in the book of Hosea. Hosea is a book in the Old Testament that's really easy to skip by. It's just a few short chapters, but it's one of my favorites, and it really clearly illustrates God's love for his people through this metaphor of marriage. Marriage and covenant is central to Hosea's message. Most people in the Old Testament would have had an awareness of the covenant of marriage because they would have been married themselves. And so oftentimes they understood the Lord better when using this covenantal and marriage language. The covenant relationship between God and his people, Israel, was likened to that of a man and a wife. Using the imagery of marriage, the Lord through Hosea taught his people that though they had been unfaithful to him, he would not divorce them if only they would turn their back to him. So we're going to look at Hosea today, starting in Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, and this is how the book begins. When the Lord first spoke to Hosea, he said this to him, "'Go and marry a woman of promiscuity and have children of promiscuity, for the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord.'" God commissions Hosea, the main character of this book, to take a promiscuous wife, his wife Gomer, because Israel had been promiscuous by forsaking the Lord. And so this book serves as a metaphor. In the symbolic marriage covenant, God is the husband, and Israel, the covenant people, is his bride and represented by Gomer. God wed Israel in the covenant of Abraham, which was renewed with Moses at Mount Sinai. Isaiah fifty four even reads for thy maker is thine husband, and Jeremiah three hundred fourteen reads just later in the passage that we're studying today, for I am married unto you. And so this idea of marriage is common throughout Scripture. Jeremiah and Hosea have a lot of parallels in that they both begin by establishing the relationship between God and his people, calling Israel his bride, yet both also describing Israel's faithfulness towards a faithful husband, God. We read again in Jeremiah 2, 5. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they went so far from me? Followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They stopped asking, Where is the Lord who brought us from Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, through a land of drought and darkness, a land no one traveled through and where no one lived? I brought you to a fertile land to eat its fruits and bounty, but after you entered, you defiled my land. You made my inheritance detestable. The experts in the law no longer knew me, and the rulers rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and followed useless idols. Baal being one of the idols that they worshipped. And so here we see that Jeremiah is saying that even though God had been faithful to his people and provided, they still turned from him and worshipped idols. And so this idea of faithlessness and promiscuity of the heart is echoed in Hosea. And we read... (coughs) In Hosea 2, verses 5 through 8, interestingly, I'm just reading the same verses in Jeremiah. It says, yes, their mother is promiscuous. She conceived them and acted shamefully. For she thought, I will follow my lovers, the men who give me my food and water, my wool and flax, my oil and drink. Therefore, this is what I will do. I will block her way with thorns. I will enclose her with a wall so that she cannot find her paths. She will pursue her lovers but not catch them. She will look for them but not find them. Then she will think, I will go back to my former husband, for then it is better than for me now. She does not recognize that it is I who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the fresh oil. I lavish silver and gold on her, which they used for bail. In both examples, they really near each other and almost use the same language, this idea that Israel, the, the wife as Gomer and Hosea, has turned from their, their lover, their first love, God, even though they had given all of these gifts to Israel and still they use them for idols. And Hosea is really good at illustrating what I think Jeremiah is inferring in between the lines here. That Israel continuously forgets what God has done for them and promiscuously pursues loves other than their first love. In a lot of translations in Hosea, it actually uses the word whore, that Gomer was a whore and she was pursuing whoredom. And so God refers to Israel as a whore in this example. And while that's a really ugly word that I hope doesn't get, like, taken and put on TikTok, me saying that, it's really visceral and helps us see the reality of a heart problem and the reality of Israel cheaply whoring themselves to other idols, worshiping them, even using gifts that God had given them. Hosea 2.8 says, She does not recognize that it is I who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the fresh oil. I lavished silver and gold on her, which they used for Baal. And it's so easy to read these passages from the Old Testament, knowing that we're covered under the blood of Jesus in the the new covenant, and think that we are so far removed. But the reality is that so many of us, really all of us, are, are prone to wonder and be faithless to God, and we exhibit the same behavior as the Israelites, even in the 21st century, And though Hosea and Jeremiah both are speaking of the faithlessness and promiscuity of an entire nation of people, um, God's chosen people, the same principle holds true for individuals. Even those who have been grossly unfaithful to God can reestablish their relationship with him if they trust him and turn to him. We, the bride of Christ, frequently find ourselves unfaithful to Jesus Christ our bridegroom. Jesus died for us so that we might be reconciled to God. And his faithfulness, his mercy, his trustworthiness and graciousness, um, we sometimes run for it, but we should forsake all of those other things for Jesus Christ. Because Jesus paid the ultimate price for us in his death. But the reality is, is that we so cheaply chase after fleeting flings just like Israel did, and just like Gomer does, because while I'm sure none of us, um, and, and hopefully not most of us, are forsaking our spouses for adulterous relationships, we can still be adulterous of the heart, and we can choose things other than God and placing him where his priority should be, which is the first and foremost thing in our lives. Thankfully, though, God did not divorce Israel if they would turn back from him or turn to him. And thankfully, he doesn't divorce us in our faithlessness because uh, I know, as, as Paul would say, and it's true in my, in my life, I'm the uh, chief of sinners. And so we are so thankful that God does not divorce us and unconditionally loves us, um, just as Christ loved his church. In Hosea, we read that the Lord showed mercy on Israel. Hosea two fourteen through 15 says, Therefore, I'm going to persuade her lead her to the wilderness, and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her vineyards back to her and make the valley of Accor into a gateway of hope. There she will respond as she did in the days of her youth as in the day that she came out of, land, uh, out of the land of Egypt. Again, and a few verses later, it says in Hosea chapter 2, verses 19 through 20, I will take you to be my wife forever. I will take you to be my wife in righteousness, justice, love, and compassion. I will take you to be my wife in faithfulness, and you will know the Lord. And here, this is a symbolism for the fact that God would not forsake us forever. He would send his son, Jesus Christ, so that we might know him. And he takes us in righteousness, justice, love, and compassion, just like a groom would his bride. I think one of the most beautiful verses in scripture that directly states God's faithfulness towards an unfaithful people comes just here in Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to me, Go again, show love to a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, just as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. And before you think that the Israelites just loved to eat, um, which they probably did, Raising Cakes here is referring to the fact that oftentimes when people would worship idols and make sacrifices to idols and participate in these rituals, Raising Cakes was one of the sweets that they chose to eat. So I think this is such a beautiful picture that even though the Israelites would turn to other lovers, they would turn to other gods, um, just like we often do, God shows love to a people that has been adulterous, that has forsaken him, that has forgotten him, that often bypasses them, and still shows his love to us and is compassionate towards us, and that is personified in the person of Jesus Christ. Gomer was an unfaithful prostitute that turned away from her husband, yet Hosea would eventually buy her back as a bride, Reflecting the redeeming nature of God's love for Israel, his bride, who he would ultimately buy back by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Which reminds me of this verse in Romans where Paul says in Romans 5, 6 through 10, For while we were helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for just a person, though for a good person perhaps, Someone might even dare to die. But God proves his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we continue to forsake God in our sinfulness, and our restlessness, and in our broken sin state, he sent his son to die for us. And so that is good news this morning, and we have hope that God has not divorced us, but instead embraced us as a loving husband, embraced his bride. He has a new covenant, and we are part of that covenant, and he is faithful to us, even when we are faithless to him. The Israelites in Jeremiah had turned from God. They had been faithless to him despite his abounding, exceeding faithfulness to them, providing their every need, leading them to the land that he had promised to them, and giving them a law by which they could obey and worship him by. And they still turned. He said he would restore restore them if they would turn back to him, which in the old covenant involved great sacrifice because of God's conditional agreement to the Israelites, his people. We, however, have access to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins (coughs) under the new covenant established by Jesus' blood. Just like Gomer and her faithlessness and promiscuity that we see in the book of of Hosea, we in our faithlessness and promiscuity of our own hearts are bought by the blood of the Lamb, who is Jesus Christ. We repent this morning of our faithlessness, Jeremiah tells us and reminds us because it's a whole book of prophecy and we see the horrors and the pain that we endure when we turn from God. And we, like Israel, have been unfaithful to God. But there is a God who now, because of Jesus Christ, stands waiting to embrace us. He has already embraced us by sending his Son and shown compassion on us. So we respond this morning by, if you haven't followed followed Jesus yet, respond to him. Like a groom that loves his bride, has tenderly, compassionately, and kindly extended his arms. And if you are in Christ this morning... Turn back from him. We are so prone to wonder and be faithless, even though we love God. We often pursue other loves and the idols in our lives, sometimes accidentally, sometimes intentionally. But God is merciful and kind to soften our hearts and help us turn to him. If you'll close your eyes with us and the band comes forward, I just want to take a moment and repent that we, like Israel, have often been unfaithful to God. We forget that he is our provider and our deliverer. And so this morning we we repent of our turning from him. We know that every good (coughs) and perfect gift comes from the father from whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He He is everlasting and he is faithful. He is trustworthy and he is true. And so we rejoice in that this morning. Our hope is in Christ alone. We're so thankful that we can worship you for all that you have done by sending your son Jesus for us. And in his name we pray.